Thank you for joining us on the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org. This week's message is by Rob Basham. Sometimes my family says that I'm a difficult person to buy gifts for. I disagree with that. I firmly disagree with that. I'm an easy person to buy gifts for, but sometimes the complaints come. However, a perfect example of a great gift that I received recently came from my wife about a year and a half ago. And Jess gives me this gift, and I open it up, and this is black box, and on the front of it, it says Ancestry DNA. Anyone do this? Anyone take one of these things, right? So you know, the, you know how it works. You open that thing up. There's a little tube in there. You spit in it. It's kind of disgusting, but you spit in that tube. They get your DNA. You put it in a bag. You send it off, and you await the results that will tell you where you're from, will tell you about your DNA, your history. And so I waited a couple of weeks. See, we had some legends in our family. We were kind of uncertain about this weird last name, Basham, and this weird hybrid of what it could be. And many of us thought, and we talked to professors and read, and a lot of us thought that it could be this Arab-French hybrid and that we had left France because of religious persecution with the Huguenots and spent time in North Africa and then went back to, to, to England before coming to America in the 1700s. And so that was the legend. And then the test came back, and it said, no, that's not true at all. And uh, I'm British. And uh, I, I mean, I guess I'm okay with that. And uh, I've got a lot of German in there. My last name, actually, as we've done more research, is actually German. And it's not some weird hybrid. And, and, and the test also showed, it confirmed that the story that, yeah, both my mom's side and my dad's side, they all arrived here in the U.S. before the Revolutionary War between 1910 and 1915, both sides of the family. My mom's family settled in New York and settled in the Hudson Valley. There's even a, a, a town there, Garrison, named after my mom's family. And my dad's family landed in eastern Pennsylvania and lived there for many, many generations before spreading out all over the U.S. And it was just this incredible thing to see this. And if industry trends are correct, I mean, already 20 million people have taken a test like this something similar to this, and they say the trend is only growing, and there is this trend in our culture to learn about our past. In fact, New York Times had an article last week, why you should dig up your family history and how to do it. Not many people would click on that, I did. Learning your history is forced reckoning. This is the subtitle, forced reckoning, asking you to consider whose stories you carry with you and which ones you want to actually carry forward. Pretty intense article. You see, there is this rise, this interest, because we know that somehow the past does influence the present. And if we just could just have a bit more knowledge and understanding about the lives that preceded ours, we will perhaps have a better grasp of who we are, why we act the way we do, and why certain struggles can seem overwhelming to us. I believe this is a healthy posture to have. You see, we're in our second week in our series, Thrive. And this series is about identifying some things in our lives that are keeping us from growing, that are keeping us from thriving. And some of these aren't the easiest paths to walk. Last week, we talked about the concept of repentance, what it means to walk through conviction, contrition, and continue on with confession. And we talked through repentance, and Steve broke down some things and talked about how it can be our FTT, our failure to thrive. And this week, we continue on in that trajectory. 
But this week, we're talking about family sin patterns. Family sin patterns. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad you came to church today? What a great topic. See, the interesting thing about this is, though, that strangely, I'm actually excited to talk to you about this. Because church, all of our families, even the healthiest generationally blessed families among us have deep-rooted patterns and behaviors and secrets that shape us and affect us greatly. And there are times where our failure to thrive is a result of hindrances in our lives that have been passed down from generation to generation, some of which we're not even aware of. I also believe that if we can find the courage to go there to identify and deal with these family sin patterns, it will unleash a deeper life in Christ, deeper levels of freedom. I've seen this in my own life, and I've seen it in lives of others that I've walked with, men that I have discipled. In his book, The Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, author and pastor Pete Schizero talks about this process. He says we have to go back in order to go forward. In church, it is true. Whether it's nature, nurture, or both, whether you want to call it a consequence or a curse, family sin patterns have a larger impact on shaping us and who we are than we like to give credit. And the scriptures often remind us to think generationally. We see all these genealogies. We see the narratives of scripture that follow a family from generation to next. One of the reasons I love reading the stories of the Old Testament, especially the stories that we see in Genesis, is we see this. We see how things happen in one generation and the next. We see the blessings and we see the dysfunctions that are passed on. I love that we get to see the dysfunctions. I love that we see what happened, not what should have happened. You see, this family line that we're going to look at this morning, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, they had some issues. But the hope is there because even though they had some issues, they were used in mighty ways. And the faith was built upon their obedience to God. So we're going to look at three different passages in Genesis this morning. And we're going to identify a very clear family sin pattern that happens in these three families. And what is happening as it's passed down. We start with Abram, and Abram is commanded that he's supposed to go to Egypt. And as he enters Egypt, this is what it says happens in Genesis 12. As he was approaching the border of Egypt, Abram said to his wife, Sarai, look, you are a very beautiful woman. And if he had just stopped right there, (laughs) we wouldn't have to have this message. But he didn't. He continues on and he tells his wife, when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Let's kill him. Then we can have her. So please tell them you are my sister. Then they will spare my life and treat me well because of their interest in you. And if you read on, the, what happens is that he is brought, his wife Sarah is brought into the, to the household of Pharaoh. And though she's preserved to an extent, and it, it creates a disruption. And Pharaoh's quite angry with Abraham and confronts him on it. And he blesses him and sends him away to take off any guilt for what he has done. And I'm sure that Sarah carried some baggage from this, from this situation that happened, but we don't know much more there, but it seems that there's not a repentant heart. We don't see that, oh, wow, Abram messed up here in his deceit. And we see that it probably wasn't a repentant heart because a couple chapters later, it's deja vu. He's traveling now, and he's in a new area. Now he's up in the south of Palestine there, and he's in the, he's in the, the wadi there, and he says, Abraham moved south to Negev and lived there for a while between Kadesh and Shur, and then he moved on to Gerar. 
While living there as a foreigner, Abraham introduced his wife, Sarah, by saying, she is my sister. So King Abimelech of Gerar sent for Sarah and had her brought to him at his palace. But that night, God came to Abimelech in a dream and told him, you are a dead man, for that woman you have taken is already married. Oh, thank God for the protection that he brought Sarah that night. For Abraham's sake, for Sarah's sake. And the same thing happens. Abraham is, con- Abraham is confronted and his wife is returned and he's actually blessed with more livestock, but he's asked to leave the area. Again, we don't see a heart of repentance. The fascinating thing is that a few years later, Abraham dies. Abraham dies, and now the mantle of leadership for his family has been passed on to his son, Isaac. What does Isaac do? Same thing. We look at what Isaac does. So Isaac stayed in Gerar. When the men who lived there asked Isaac about his wife, Rebekah, he said, she is my sister. Are you kidding me? He was afraid to say, she is my wife. He thought, they will kill me to get to her because she is so beautiful. His wife also, in some ways, protected, but not really. And the sin pattern continues on. And church, the family sin pattern here is pretty obvious. These nomadic herding men are marrying women that are clearly way out of their league. (laughs) But seriously... Seriously, there is a clear family sin pattern revealed here. When fear comes, the response is deceit. It's deceit. In Abraham's case, he tells a half-truth, and it's deceit. Isaac tells a blatant lie and says, this is my sister. It is not. And the pattern of deception stays with this family. It is not broken. It only increases. We see that because Rebecca and her son Jacob blatantly deceive Isaac to steal a birthright. Jacob is deceived by his father-in-law and has to work more years than intended for Rachel's hand in marriage. His sons then deceive him in a horrible manner. They sell his favorite son, Joseph, into slavery. They fake a death and kill an animal and bring the clothing back. They have to sit through a fake funeral and deceptively mourn the loss of a brother that's not even dead, and they hold on to that family secret until it is revealed years later in Egypt. Do you see the power that deceit has on this family lineage? The same family struggles with uh, favoritism. Favorite wives, favorite sons, special coats are made. It wasn't hidden, and it's passed on from one generation to the next. And it leaves us wondering, if these great families of the Old Testament have these issues, what are the sin patterns in our families that we are unaware of? And how do we deal with this reality? How do we go back so that we can go forward? Before we dive into that this morning, I just want to address the fact that I know for some of you in this room, this is an uncomfortable process. Some of us want to forget our family of origin. There are deep hurts in looking back. Some of us worry that this could bring a level of dishonor to our family, to our parents, to our grandparents. And this is a multi-generational church, and some of our pews have three, four generations sitting together. But church, looking at our family's patterns, it's not dishonoring. It's actually disarming. You see, it's not about blaming. It's not about rebelling. 
It's actually about enriching and empowering healthy conversations that bring honor to our family. And so this morning, our goal is this. We want a journey. We want a journey towards a deeper level of freedom in Christ, a deeper level with Christ that involves identifying and dealing with sinful patterns from our family of origin. That's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about how to identify them, and we're going to talk about how to deal them. We're going to break them. In Jesus' name. So first, how do we identify these? How do we identify them? This is work of the soul. This is work of self-awareness. How do we identify these sinful patterns? See, one of the family sin patterns that I struggle with, to be honest with you, is anger. Hardly anyone would call me an angry person. I don't raise my voice. I don't have outbursts. In fact, I'm incredibly good at controlling that anger when it does rise up. Also, with regards to work and ministry and, and, and friends, I'm a fairly straightforward and confrontational person. I appreciate a fierce conversation. I'd rather have that and just get it out and deal with it. But sometimes with those closest to me, with my family and close friends, my anger can express itself differently. You see, I go quiet. I go quiet. I internalize it. I try to control it. But what I'm doing is imprisoning the person that I can't control or that I'm frustrated with, with my silent anger. And while I've conquered this to, to some extent, my blessed wife is sometimes the recipient of this immature behavior, even to this day. You see, I never really considered that this internalizing anger could be a family sin pattern. Until I had been married for about two years and... My wife graciously had been bringing it to my attention a little bit, asking me, why are you so quiet? Are you angry? Well, no, yes, maybe, I don't know. But we went to visit my parents, and we had dinner. It was just my parents, my mom and dad, and Jess and I, and we're sitting there, and we're having dinner, and I see my dad is trying to throw some hints at my mom to get her to do something. And, he, and he's throwing some hints at her, and he's trying to control this situation, and my mom smells it from a mile away, and she's not going to have it, so she shuts it down, and my dad kind of goes silent. And it's, I kind of, I, I notice it, but, but I also notice that it's, it's, it actually seems almost healthy to me. It seems like it's not a big deal. And I've seen my parents fight well, and they modeled that well for me. And, and so I don't think much of it, but there's some tension there. About 20 minutes later, I'm in the kitchen. I'm clearing off the plates. I'm putting them in the dishwasher. And, and I'm just doing that. And I notice through the window, my dad's out there taking out the trash. He's such a servant. Never met a man of joy like my dad either, but I'm watching him take out the trash. He puts it in the trash can, and then he takes the lid, and he goes, boom, 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 and he kicks the trash can as hard as he can. <sighs> what? I lived under the same roof with this man for 18 years and never once saw him lose it. Shock. Laughter at how ridiculous he looked. Compassion, because dad, I get it, I've done that too. But what hit me most at that moment was this, I'm not alone in this struggle. My dad struggles too. And one of the reasons this has personally been hard to overcome for me is because it's a family pattern, one that I've been ignorant to. And so over the next few days and the next few years with my dad, I began to share how I internalize anger. And he began to share the same. And this shared struggle came into the light. See, for me, that wasn't dishonoring. It was incredibly disarming. It was incredibly freeing 
to unlock the ignorance of this struggle that I thought was just mine, but was actually generational. Church, please understand, ignorance to these generational patterns is costly to us. So how do we identify these and end that ignorance? For some of you, it'll be an experience like I had. When I observe something that just caught me off guard and this new realization comes. For some of you, you don't need to do any work. You know full well. And so do those around you, your other family members, the family sin patterns that exist in your family. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree has been said to you many times, and it's not always said in a positive light because of positive characteristics. For others of you, you might need to do some investigating, some family interviewing. You might need to call some family members, have them over, look through some photo albums together, set up some coffees, and begin a dialogue to look for some of these patterns to identify some secrets that your family might be holding on to. You see, when I walked this journey, in my mind, it was kind of like, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of going to the doctor, and I'm definitely not a huge fan of having to fill out those family medical history questionnaires. But we fill those out so the doctor understands the past so that he can help us treat the future. And for me, this was kind of doing the same thing, filling out a family spiritual history questionnaire so that I could identify patterns that were in the past so that I could move forward into freedom in the future. So for me, I had this list of questions. And I had this list of questions because this was an assignment that I had to do for a graduate class. And let me assure you, I never would have done this if I hadn't been forced to do it. Because I thought my family was great. Because real men, we don't have to process our family stuff. We just move on. But me being forced to do this opened up so many things and changed my life. And here I am having to preach on it to you, but preaching to you because I believe it can unlock things and help you thrive. So I had this list of questions like, what were my family slogans, spoken or unspoken? How was conflict handled in my family? I had an extensive list of questions. I've made a much more condensed list of questions available to you on our Facebook if you're interested and you want to go on this process. But I started looking for what I considered more obvious patterns, two, three generations back, bigger type deals, things like physical or verbal abuse, alcoholism, racism, suicide, divorce. Church, many of our families, we are stuck in some of these patterns. And these need to be discussed and dealt with. How far back does it go? How did it start, etc.? But often it's actually thought patterns and relational dysfunction in less identifiable areas that are our family sin patterns. Things like passive aggressiveness, lust, greed, lack of trust. Sometimes they even seem positive. Being nice at any cost. Avoiding conflict. Serving others with no boundaries. Maybe it's found in the root lies of people-pleasing, performance, or control, the topics that we talked through in our identity theft series a few weeks ago. Many of those didn't start with you. Many of those root lies are actually family patterns that you just continue to perpetuate. For me, the first person I went to go talk to was my mom. I figured that's a pretty easy one. She loves Jesus, and she's pretty open. She loves to process these things. She wishes that our family did it more. So I drove, and I took my mom out to dinner, and I still remember where we were sitting. I still remember we both ordered these big old burgers, and we sat there, and we ate those burgers, and we cried, and we laughed, and we celebrated, and we talked through all sorts of things. 
It was an incredible evening for me as I realized even things that my mom and dad had broke in our generational line that I no longer had to deal with because they did the work. It was an incredible experience for me. And it was an incredible experience for my mom. It was a fairly natural conversation for us to have. I was nervous going in, but it was pretty natural. She enjoyed it so much that on the ride home, she decides to call her two sisters, her two brothers and my two cousins who live in the area and said, hey, I'm going to have a fire tomorrow night with sports, wars, and Rob's going to take us through some intense family conversational questions. <laughs> you guys need to come over. I said, Mom, you should ask me first. That's weird. Like, and, but it happened. It happened. That's probably a sin pattern we got to deal with, too. Like, just not, not asking the other person. But anyway, it happened. So we're sitting around the fire with my aunts and my uncles, and we're recalling stories from childhood, and there's tears, and there's laughter. And I'm asking questions. Who was the favorite of the seven kids? Everyone points to the same person. I was not. Are you kidding me? I don't know. They're all pointing at you. You probably need to process that one a little bit. Just an incredible evening of discussions. And if you decide to go for this, I don't know what your family would, how it would be handled in your family. But church, I truly believe that we've got to look back in order to move forward. For some of us, this will take initiative and work and Holy Spirit revelation and discernment. For some of you, secrets will be exposed. Hurts revealed, betrayal and abandonment brought back up. And I understand that's not easy. You'll need to grieve some of those things. You'll need to call on the spirit who's known as the comforter. But church, a growth spurt is waiting. I hope you'll take time this week to reflect a bit on how family patterns have shaped you and identify some of these in your own life. And as you do this, as you approach, especially the generation above you, can I just encourage you to do it with grace, humility, and care? Grace, humility, and care. Some of your parents and grandparents, your aunts and your uncles, they're not going to want to go here. Can you respect that? Possibly look for patterns in other ways. But some of your relatives will want to go there. They'll feel honored that you're talking about it. And they're going to share experiences and stories with you, and you're going to react like I did. Why did you never share that story with me? And they might give you the response that I got. I'm not really sure. Maybe because you never asked. Also, if you decide to do this, understand something. While this sermon is about digging up some of the things that keep us back, when you do this, you're also going to realize some of the unbelievable things that have been passed down in your family. The heritage the legacy, the giftings that have been passed down from family to family. Stop and celebrate those. Understand that we walk through this. We go and we dig up some of these family sin patterns, not to feel bad about them, not to sit in shame and guilt, not to cast blame or to remove responsibility or our role in the process from us. We dig these up to bring awareness. We dig these up so that we can deal with them, so that we can thrive, so we can break these patterns and move on in new and fresh ways. So we identify them, and then secondly, we deal with them. We deal with them. We admit that they're there. We break them. This is spirit work. This is spirit work. We deal first by realizing the greater purpose of walking through this. Ignorance is the paralyzer. Bringing things into the light affirms the great message of Christianity. We stand in the truth. Our past, our family of origin doesn't determine our future. 
Christ already paid for it all. More on that in a minute, but we need to go back so we can go forward, bringing this stuff into the light. Because when we do, it breaks the power of fear. It breaks the power of pride. It breaks the power of secrecy. All things that the enemy uses to keep us stuck. All things that the enemy uses to do what he does best, to kill, steal, and destroy our families. You see, many of us are stuck in these sins of the families, and on our own strength, we've tried to conquer them, but we're tired, and it's been difficult. But church, the good news is this. As it says in Galatians 3, Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it is written in the scriptures, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Through Christ Jesus, God has blessed us with the same blessing he promised to Abraham so that we who are believers receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. Church, we are free. All of our sin, generational or not, has been forgiven, and the presence of any sin pattern can be ended in the light of the sacrifice that Christ has made for us in his great love. Maybe your grandfather, maybe he was a gambler or a lustful cheater. Maybe your mother was an alcoholic or a verbal abuser. But you know what? It doesn't matter. Because the truth is, the truth is that your ultimate origin, your ultimate origin is a loving father God who loves you. He is near and went to great lengths to provide freedom and renewal for your soul. Amen. Church, breaking out of generational sin is simply a matter of realizing that it doesn't need to have authority over you. Galatians 5, one of my favorite chapters. I love the way it starts. So Christ has truly set you free. It's true. And Paul, as he talks to the church, says, now make sure that you stay free. And he goes on to kind of explain to them how. And he explains this, this thing that's happening. He says, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the spirit wants. And the spirit gives us desires that are opposite to what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you are not free to carry out the good intentions. But it says in verse 18, when you are directed by the spirit, you are not under obligation to the law. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Church, I love the concept here that Paul is sharing. He's saying that one of the things that the Spirit does is he gives us the opposite desire of those sin patterns that have been plaguing us. He blesses us with the opposite desire. That's one of the ways that we maintain freedom, that we continue to walk in this. And so we identify and we deal we admit and we break these sinful patterns. And this morning, I want to walk us through some practical steps on how we can do both of those things. For some of you this morning, you're just going to be taking notes because you're just not feeling that it's the time or place or the right environment to do this. But for many of you, Church, can I just encourage you to give this a try here this morning? Because there's something about when we gather together in this corporate environment, when there's collective faith in the room, when there's power and agreement together as we worship, we have to look back in order to move forward. And so I'm going to pray and release courage, and our worship team is going to come out, and we're going to start by asking a question. But first, let's just, let's just pray. Jesus, I pray that you would release courage in this place in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray that you would release permission for people to go ahead and ask, what are some patterns that they have been slaves to? 
And Lord, I pray that spirit of revelation would come, that you would bring those things. Lord, for those that are nervous about this process, I just pray that a spirit of peace would fall in Jesus' name. Jesus, we tell you that we love you and we want to see you find, just set people free today in Jesus' name. And so we start by looking at this question. This question, we ask for spirit revelation to come. This question. <laughs> I'll read the question. What is one family sin pattern that has become evident to you in the past month or weeks or even today? What is one? You might have many, but what's one? Consider it. Get in your head. Write it down. Ask the Spirit to reveal it to you if nothing has come yet. But just let's take a moment and let's just identify one. So Spirit, come. Bring your revelation now in Jesus' name. Spirit, for those that you have revealed something, thank you. And for those that you haven't, I just pray fresh revelation over them this week as they continue to ponder this. Would you bring to mind anything that would be holding them back, anything that is keeping them, giving them that FTT, that failure to thrive? I just pray your revelation would come in Jesus' name. So the first step we do once we've identified it is we simply admit that it's there and that it has had an effect on us. We admit that it's there and it has had an effect on us. We need to call it for what it is. We need to bring it into the light. Some of you will need to go back to whatever that family sin pattern was because there's some grieving that needs to be done in association with it. You need to realize how much it really has affected you, the losses that you've had because of it. But we can't be free of what we can't acknowledge, so we have to bring it into light, admit that it's there. For some of you, it's something that happened to you. But for some of you, it's a pattern that you've entered into. And if it's a pattern that you have entered into, you also need to repent of that pattern. You need to repent of your role and responsibility that you have carried that on. So would you take just a moment and would you admit that it's there, whatever it is, and that it has had an effect on you. So Jesus, come. Receive these confessions in Jesus' name. For these next two steps, I just want to give you a freedom to take whatever posture you need to take, even as we worship here in a minute. If you want to come up to the altar, you're welcome to. If you want to kneel where you are, you can. If you just want to bow your head. But the next step is we need to forgive any family members for where they failed. 
We need to forgive any family members for where they have failed. It could be your mother or your father or a long gone relative who set the stage and gave the enemy a place to come in and cause disruption among your family. Not everyone might need to do this, but many of us harbor bitterness or resentment towards certain family members. And this is where we get to release them from that. You see, forgiving is not saying what happened was okay or excusing it. It's simply releasing them so that we can grow into something new, so that we can thrive. So would you take just a moment and forgive any family members for where they have failed you? Lord, hear our confession. We receive your grace. to the third step. Third and final step is this. With the authority you have in Jesus, break the power of that family's sin pattern. You see, this isn't about some formula. This isn't about some magic word. This is simply about what Christ has already done because of his great love. What he did on the cross, he has broken the powers of sin and death. He has broken the curse. As his followers, he has restored authority to us to go and do the same. And so we simply say to this family sin pattern, I see you, you are in the light, I don't want you around my family anymore, and so I break you off in Jesus' name. I break the power and the position that you have had in my life and in my family's life in Jesus' name. So take a moment. Embrace in this. Do this as we continue to worship, but break off anything that's there. Just bring it into the light. Tell it you don't want it there anymore and break it because you have power to break it because of what Christ has done on the cross in Jesus' name. Go ahead and take a moment to do that. Thank you for joining us on the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. We are a community of believers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. If you have a request that we could pray for, please email us at prayers at salemalliance.org. If you'd like more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org.